From RealGhostStoriesOnline.com, this is Real Ghost Stories Online, the podcast. It's group therapy for the paranormally affected. Phone number to call in is 855-853-4802, 855-853-4802. Of course, you can always write into us through the website at RealGhostStoriesOnline.com. You can comment on the uh, forum section uh, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week as well. We would love to hear from you. And to have you share your real ghost stories with us, or if you, uh, you know, maybe you already went through your real ghost stories, maybe you've already shared, uh, you, of course, can always uh, comment and weigh in on uh, other folks' situations and stories. That's what we do here in this community at Real Ghost Stories Online. Please become an EPP that helps support the show and the uh, hard costs we have of producing the show and giving it out to you every single day of the week. We ask for a $5 a month donation. And with that, we'll give you not only the show for free that we already give out every single day, get an extra show every single week sent directly to you and a whole bunch of other uh, great extra stuff that we just want to give to our EPPs as a thank you for really being the backbone uh, of the community. Our uh, EPP bonus episode number two is already out there. And by the way, when you do sign up, you get the backlog of bonus episodes. Now there's really only two of them right now, but uh, you get one and two when you sign up. On this uh, last episode, we talked to Steve, uh, a caller who encountered a demonic entity that essentially uh, attacked uh, uh, him uh, after uh, he kind of fell into a negative uh, encounter with a, uh, a co-worker of his. And it, it, was, it was a very good call. To, it was. to say the least, but it was almost like using Steve as a, uh, as I described, like a pawn to make this other person's life not so good. Steve was able to get rid of it eventually, but you can hear the whole call in a EPP bonus episode number two. You can, uh, like I said, get signed up for that on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. We do thank you in advance for doing that. Uh, on today's episode, your calls, your stories... Uh, and uh, an interesting list that was sent in to us, and I thought we'd go through uh, through some of them here on the show. The 10 most terrifying places in the Midwest. Ooh, okay. This is uh, courtesy of a website called Mysterious Heartland, and somebody sent it in to us. And we'll uh, talk about some of, these, uh, some of these locations. And I could see, you know, I bet a lot of our listeners probably have been to some of these, maybe experienced some. Some are kind of urban legendy-ish. Some are, uh, you know, flat out, yeah, there's not too good of things that are probably happening here. Uh, uh, so uh, we'll talk about some of those throughout the, uh, the show today here at RealGhostStoriesOnline.com. In fact, why don't we just start out with that? Okay. Uh, the, the number 10 on that list of the, uh, the top 10 most terrifying places in the Midwest is uh, uh, the 100 Steps Cemetery. This is located in Terry Haute, in, uh, uh, Terry Haute uh, and Brazil, Indiana. Okay, there's a Brazil, Indiana. And I think it's Terra Hoot. Terra Hoot? I call it Hoot. Yeah, it's Terra Hoot. Are you sure about that? Or is that the Texas way of saying it? Because uh, up north we say Hoot. Okay, I think you could say it either way, but I think people are going to recognize it more if you say Terra Hoot. Terra Hoot? Mm-hmm. How about we ask somebody from Terra Hoot? Okay. Anybody in Terra Hoot or Terra Hoot? Let us know. I'm curious, because I wonder, watch, probably going to be like neither of our... Ways of saying it. It's like here in where we are. We're in the middle of Kansas. We're in Wichita. And the uh, the river that everyone else in the, the country would call the Arkansas River, we refer to as the Arkansas River. And we even have a city that would be Arkansas City, but it's Arkansas City. Yeah, because it's ours, as, yeah. as the locals say, which I just kind of shake my head and walk away when I I literally it. think there are people that live here. If you said the Arkansas River, they wouldn't know what no. you're talking about. Or uh, there's another one, too, that's vernacularly completely wrong. Uh, Greenwich? Greenwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just a thing here. I don't know why. It's essentially pronouncing uh, street names and words uh, not above a first grade level. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? We both say it the way other people say it, just because I guess the win in Rome mentality. It, it really is, because I mean, you do literally run into that. Um, when I was on the air here in town, uh, in commercial radio, if you and a traffic report referred to that as Greenwich or Arkansas River, people didn't know what the hell you were talking about. No, they're like, what? What is that? Where? What? Literally, I would get calls like, "What are you talking about?" Arkansas. What? There's no road called Arkansas. Yeah. Okay. Coming up, weather 
and more great country music. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Anyhow, the 100 Step Cemetery uh, is uh, off North County Road 675 West, just uh, south of Route 40, in case you wanted to find it. Uh, difficult to find because uh, it is unmarked on many maps. Those are fun. <laughs> the Rural Cemetery is home to an unusual legend. The cemetery itself holds graves dating back to the 1860s, but most visitors come to see a long set of concrete stairs. They are broken and sunken into the grass in many places, but it is said that uh, secrets will be revealed if you make it to the top. According to the legend, anyone who counts every step and reaches a top at midnight will be approached by the ghost of an undertaker. The grim figure will show you a vision of your death. If you fail to count the same number of steps on your way down, the vision will come true. If you walk up the side of the hill rather than the steps, a phantom hand will push you to the ground. So I'm sure it's complete bullshit, and it's really an urban legend, but a fun urban legend at that. Don't you know every teenager in those two towns has been there and tried that? It's like the... uh, the Blood Woods that was in a story from the other day. Mm-hmm. Was that on the EPP episode or was it the normal episode? I don't remember. I think it was the regular episode uh, where there was a Blood Woods and everybody you know, turned into the urban legends of, ooh, the Blood Woods, and it was just the guy's last name. Right. There's one like that. There's a cemetery in Appleton, Wisconsin, and there's the ghost of Kate Blood in it. So, of course, what do you think the urban legend says about the gravestone? What happens to it at night? Oh, it gets covered in blood. Yep, exactly. Um, now... Some paranormal researchers have said that that sometimes they do see some sort of residue on it, but they're just assuming it's probably sap or because <laughs> it's in the woods, uh, you know, or just, you know, residue from moisture in the air, otherwise known as dew and uh-huh. things of that nature. But because of the name, if it gets, you know, but um, what's interesting about a lot of urban legends and things of that nature, there's usually some sort of tinge of like reality to them. Right. There's some sort of basis. So that'd be really interesting to hear, if, if even possible, to dig back far enough to find out what the uh, what the basis of that one is. We'll go through some of these other ones here on the show, uh, throughout the show today, intermittently between some of the calls and the stories. Phone number again is 855-853-4802 to call in with your real ghost stories. We would love to hear them. Let's go to uh, one of those calls right now. Hi. Hi there, I just wanted to call in. Um, I've been listening to your show for quite a while, and um, I'm not going to use my real name, but my initial is E. Um, I'm currently going to grad school to be a therapist, and um, I think that what you're doing is awesome. It's definitely entertaining. And um, as far as therapists um, dealing with people who go through paranormal um, experiences, I just wanted to say that um, it's kind of how you deal with religion and I mean I know that you know everybody has their own religion I mean I totally understand that but um, some people believe in ghosts some people don't you know some people think that ghosts are like non-existent and they kind of get offended whenever you mention them some people don't you know I'm one of those people who don't and um, it's kind of like you have to read what the person that you're dealing with and you have to kind of go with what their beliefs are. And um, honestly, to be truthful with you, if I, um, I haven't dealt with anybody that has dealt with the paranormal yet, but if I ever did, I just wanted to say that you had a caller earlier that said that she would definitely refer them to you. And honestly, I think I probably would do the same thing. Um, at least, um, you know, what you're doing is great. You know, you have a bunch of reputable reputable people that are calling you and, you know, talking to you. And um, I think it kind of, I'm sorry, I'm so nervous. <laughs> this is my first time calling in, so I'm sorry. But um, anyway, what you're doing is great. It's awesome. I love you guys. And just keep doing what you're doing. And I think that you guys are going to because there are so many people that deal with these things on a daily basis and they have like no way to talk about it without sounding crazy. And this is going to sound really sad, but a lot of people that talk to therapists, they do not want to breach, you know, the subject of the paranormal with their therapist because they're like, you know what, this person can probably have me committed. (laughs) I mean, they probably wouldn't, but it's kind of like, you know, the stereotype that you have, you know, therapists, 
you know, they're there to tell you if you're crazy or not, which is totally not true. But people think that, and, you know, it's kind of, the more you talk about it, the more knowledge there is, the more people feel comfortable with talking about it, and the better it is for society as a whole, because people deal with stuff. And they need to be able to feel comfortable telling people what they're dealing with, because it's just insane to me that there's just this, you know, stereotype, or not stereotype, what's the word? It's like they don't feel comfortable enough to tell people, even though they're paying you, like, out the wazoo per hour. They don't want to tell you what they're feeling and how can they get any help. But I don't know. This is, I don't know. People are crazy. And I love it. I love crazy people because I'm one too. Anyway, thank you so much and please keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you so much for the call. And I have to say to me personally, that is like the highest compliment I can get to know that somebody in that field feels that we are doing something that's beneficial, that actually, you know, is more than just entertainment, that it's actually helpful to people. That just gives me such, you know, that, that just, it just makes me want to do this forever. And, you know, I agree with why people feel like they can't tell their therapist what they're truly going through and I agree that you know they probably have a misconception of what the therapist can and cannot do and why they are there you know they they probably do feel like they run the risk of being committed or diagnosed with something because they share their experience and so like we've said before we're here just to listen and to analyze not the person that's telling the story but to analyze the story itself to try and help them figure out what they've gone through if we can and you know I just feel like to be that outlet is such an honor it's kind of interesting we kind of just try and take the stigma away from the uh, the topic of ghosts and paranormal because it is one of those topics where if you're amongst like-minded friends or non-judgmental friends it's a topic that can be approached and can actually be a pretty good conversation but unfortunately it's rare to get that group of folks who are all fairly like-minded on the topic um, that you can approach it. And that's really what this community is. It's pretty much all like-minded people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them, that uh, you know, you're not just having to share it with you know, maybe the one or two people you feel comfortable with. You can throw it out there anonymously if you want or with your name. It's completely up to you. Um, and very likely in that sea of people, there's other folks who've had a similar situation to yours um, that can relate and you can kind of find some comfort not only in just getting it off your chest but knowing other folks out there have probably been through a similar thing and probably help you, you know, not only get it off your chest but make sense of it. Sure, sure. And that's kind of what uh, what a lot of this show is. And for those who don't have anything, it's entertainment because they're interested in the topic. So right. it's like a win-win for everybody. It's We have our sect of people who are here for entertainment. We have our sect of people who are, who are here for literally like a group therapy type session. And I think you have your sect that are here for both. You yeah. know, where it's, you know, it's a little bit of entertainment and it's a little bit of, yeah, I, I've been there, done that. And I, I it's good to hear other folks who've been in that, that sort of a situation. Yeah. Well, and I feel like our podcast is so different than other, you know, ghost story type organizations yeah. because we operate on a different paradigm. We come to it with not the thought of is there or is there not something out there, but yeah. we're like been there, done that there's something out there. Let's analyze what the yeah. different things are. I'm not interested in, in proving that there's ghosts out there. Cause I think there is based on the thousands of stories that we get. Um, I think we're past that. And, and I'm also not super interested in what equipment you're using. And you know, like there's, there's, there's the Uber scientific ghost shows out there which have a place but this is not that you know because it's I, I you know you don't get a whole lot of fulfillment if you're trying to to really seek out answers you know i think in just proving that they're out there because it's already established if you're calling in something happened to you i know we have a few that are um thoroughly entertained skeptics mm -hmm. but you know i i think if they completely believed it was all nonsense they really wouldn't and be interested. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. And there's a lot of folks who are, in fact, ghost hunters out there. I know that um, that uh, they, they go into it extremely skeptical, and they stay they stay skeptical, and they they stay that way till they try and find something. And I know m many who go out there and seek this stuff out, trying to find something. And it's not like the TV shows where they every time there's EVPs and this or that. I know many who've been doing it for years and haven't gotten jack. Uh huh. Um, but they keep going. Um, 
And that's where, you know, that's interesting to me because if you're constantly out there doing it, I would think by laws of elimination, eventually you would get something, you know, on tape or something. Just just something. Sure. Um, But that to me is also an an interesting thing where I think only certain people, you know, have the ability to sense it and to pick up on it. And maybe that they'll be open to. I, I think that's part of it, too. It's just one of those many layers to this whole topic that you can just go off on tangents on and then walk away from going yeah or it could be this whole other thing too because there's really there's so many non-finite answers on this topic uh 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call in to real ghost stories online letter here hi tony and jenny this is caitlin the empath in california i decided to write in instead of calling because i tend to ramble when i call so i think i can better communicate this way. I love the stories of people who have a loved one visit them after passing. I haven't had quite that experience, but something similar, I think. When I was about 13, my grandfather was very ill with cancer, and we knew he wasn't going to have very long. I lived in California, and he was in New York. My mom had flown out to be with him, but my sister, dad, and I were still in California. I had a really close bond with my mom, so I've never known if this was more tied specifically to my grandfather's passing or my mom's emotions. It was a Sunday morning, and my dad, sister, and I went to church. I couldn't stop crying through the whole service, not sobbing, just kind of tears quietly streaming down my face. I was aware that my grandfather wasn't doing well, but I didn't have any updates from New York that morning. When we got home, I went to my room to change. All of a sudden, I just started bawling. So, so much so that my sister came into my room to see what was wrong. Shortly after that, my mom called us to let us know that her father had just passed. The timing was such that I had started bawling at the time he passed. I feel like my emotions preceded the knowledge, so I wonder if this was coincidence, sensing his departure, or as an empathetic connection with my mom. I lean towards a connection with my mom because we do have a strong bond and we tend to do things such as call each other at the exact same time. It's at least a weekly thing, if not more often, that I pick up the phone to call her and it rings with her on the other line or vice versa. We even tease each other about being a a minute late if uh, one thinks of the other and it takes longer than a few seconds for the phone to ring. I'm in no way suggesting that I'm psychic or know the future. It's just an uh, empathetic connection. I'm curious about other people's thoughts or similar experiences. I have so many other stories that I'd like to share and get other people's opinions on, but for now, I'll just write one more. I live fairly close to San Diego, and there's a historical district called Old Town. There are many historical buildings and preserved areas, and it's fun to walk around and learn about the way people used to live. There's a particular house that's called the Whaley House, built by Thomas Whaley in 1857. Did I say the name right? W-H-A-L-E-Y? I'm guessing so. Okay. The house has doubled as a general store and a courtroom in its time, too. The house is supposed to be one of the most haunted in the country and featured on countless TV most haunted lists. It's even the subject of a terribly inaccurate B-horror movie that's on Netflix. There are several people supposed to haunt the house, including a daughter who committed suicide after her husband left her and a man who was tried, sentenced, and hanged on the spot in the house... Uh, that was uh, later built and is uh, he's buried down the street. The house is now open for self-guided tours and has many, many artifacts and antiques from the time it was built and lived in. The first time I visited was with my parents. While in the upstairs part of the house, my dad crept up behind my mom to grab her and scare her. She was wearing a sleeveless dress, and when he grabbed her shoulders, he didn't succeed in scaring her, but he did discover that one arm was ice cold and the other was normal body temperature. There are a few things that make me think uh, this is at least odd, if not something paranormal. First, there's no air conditioning in the house, as it was built in 1857, and it was a warm summer day. Second, it's most commonly believed that ghosts or entities cause cold spots. Third, the exact same thing happened to me years later when I visited it with a boyfriend. I was wearing short sleeves. With a war- On a warm summer day, he put his arms around me to hug me from behind, and one of my arms was ice cold and the other, normal temperature. Paranormal? I'm not sure, but I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks for sharing my stories, and I love being an EPP. Caitlin. Thank you, Caitlin. You know, with your first story and um, being an empath, I think that your connection may actually have been more sensing the passing of your grandfather because I doubt that 
your mom got the news exactly at the time that he passed. Unless she was right there in the room. Well, that's true. That's true. But she we was don't, there. She was there. Yeah, she was. She went to oh, New York. So. Well, then that's that's hard to say. I'm going on the the her mom thing. Okay. See, I didn't pick up on the yeah. mom being there in the room. Yeah, the mom flew to New York. Okay. And uh, so she was there with the the grandfather. So I'm assuming it was like probably overwhelming emotion with the mom, uh-huh. and then the daughter picked up. That's my assumption. I would say so. I, I agree with that now that I've put that together. And it's funny that you talk about the connection with your mom. My mom and I are both very close like that. In fact, there's so many times we plan to go someplace together and we neither one talk about what the other one's going to wear. And then we end up showing up to the same place or I go to pick her up and she's wearing almost identical type outfit to what I am and we don't go buy the same clothes at the same store but color I you know the whole idea the concept happens more times than not Mm -hmm. so I I get that and I know that's just a real trivial example but that's that's the one that I happen to notice the most we run into them a lot of places too that we yeah we we do to more so than anyone else I've ever run into I run into them a lot you know or we run Uh into them a lot um more than friends or anything else. It's like, oh, we're doing the same thing today. Yeah, yeah. we had the same idea yeah. to do the same thing. Yeah. It's a lot of antique stores, but... <laughs> it is. It was a flea market yesterday. Yeah, it was a flea market yesterday, yes. Um, another uh, one of these uh, locations are the 10 most terrifying places in the Midwest uh, from the Mysterious Heartland website that someone referred us to. This one's in Algoma Township in Michigan. Uh, this is called Hell's Bridge. The bridge is somewhat unique in that it was exclusively designed for pedestrians. It's located in the woods of a road called Frisky Drive, just north of the 12-mile uh, road near a dirt turnaround. A bridge allows hikers to cross over, which feeds into the nearby Rogue River. It's uh, basically a supported steel mesh with no guardrails. Over the years, this spot has developed a sinister reputation, and local legend states that uh, sometime in the distant past, a man named Elias Frisky murdered several children and dumped their bodies in the creek, claiming the devil made him do it. Visitors report encountering unexplained temperature drops, seeing a misty figure, or hearing a sound of children crying and splashing in the water. Also, if you stand on the bridge at midnight, you'll supposedly hear the devil scream in triumph. Urban legend again. Okay. You know, but uh, interesting. And again, I'd love to to you know, get down to the uh, the root of some of these. And, you know, it's kind of interesting when we throw some of these out there. While they are, it's it's hard to say they're real ghost stories, quote unquote. You know, with urban legend type stories like this. But with the the sheer amount of people who listen to the show, you can usually get a couple folks who can weigh in and go, okay, here's the real story. And fill in the blanks. And fill in the blanks. So feel free if you do have the uh, the backstory to any of these, other than the urban legend, um, but maybe know a little bit more about it, uh, we would love to hear it. Because that's always really interesting. Is It's getting that little snippet of, you know, where did this, what's the origin of it? Now, you had lived in Michigan at one time. Had you heard of that? Not of this one, no. No. I, I know of Algoma Township, but I've, I've never heard of Hell's Bridge. I know of Hell, Michigan. There's a town literally called Hell. And then, of course, the... Uh, the fun thing to do if you're a tourist and you go through it in winter is take a picture of the welcome to hell sign and uh you know it's frozen and there's icicles hanging off of it oh yeah hell froze over. there you go so, and i'm sure the locals just would love to run you down with their pickup trucks when they see people standing there doing that so, not another one <laughs> um 855-853-4802 855-853-4802 with your real ghost stories hi Hi, Tony and Jenny. Uh, my name is John. I'm from Virginia, and I just wanted to thank you, first of all, for having uh, such a great podcast. Uh, I actually found the podcast uh, after researching a little bit more about The Conjuring uh, after it came out, and uh, I found Tony's podcast on that, and I've enjoyed each uh, episode since then, and I loved how the uh how the episodes have grown and this show has changed and uh, and the help that you guys are allowing people um, to uh, be able to call in with their stories and and, uh, and talk about things that they seem that they couldn't necessarily uh, explain but uh, just wanted to thank you guys again and uh, tell you my story um, 
I've got a few and I'll call back if you guys are, are interested. But um, most of mine have not been um, a bad ghost or anything like that. But um, um, definitely disturbing and, and then two that were um, uh, somewhat helpful. Um, but uh, I'm a musician, I play music and travel uh, for work. Um, now I'm currently working a, a, a real job. Uh, but years ago when I played music, um, when I was first starting to learn how to play, I spent a lot of time with a friend that uh, when we were in uh, high school, we would travel around, pile around everywhere together and, and try to play as much music as we could to kind of hone our skills. We had been playing uh, at a festival uh, with a lot of his friends and family, and um, he had a lot of uh, siblings, and I was staying at his house currently, and we went to, um, to go play at this event, and we decided to, um, to go and um, we played and at his house there was a rule where if you were out too late um <laughs> sorry that's my uh, gps not a uh, evp so just in case if anyone heard that um i'm driving but um at his house if you were the last people to get there for dinner you had to clean up after eight siblings so it was it was kind of important that you made it um back home uh, at a reasonable time and preferably when his dad was uh, ready to um, sorry um, to um, get home from work and, and that way everyone could eat kind of together and they were pretty old fashioned about that and um, we were out and we were you know realizing that it was starting to get late and we needed to uh, to make our way back home so we were trying to make our way back through um, you know we were not far from where he lived at, but it was a lot of farmland and country areas. So we were passing cornfields and, and stuff. And so he had this idea where he said, you know, I, I know I live kind of over, you know, not far away. And he kind of pointed in a southeast direction and said, uh, let's just cut through this way. And, you know, we'll probably come out on the other side near my road and we'll be fine. And we did that and it was starting to get dark. And we actually got turned around and got lost. And we uh, we kind of came up on the edge of a cornfield that had a, a dirt road that cut through the center of it, and we seen a, a cabin with a light on, and it looked like someone at the porch uh, at the cabin. So we, we walked down, and we had our guitars with us, and we walked down, and uh, there's a guy sitting on the porch with a dog, and he was uh, cutting an apple with a knife and eating it and rocking in a chair. And, and uh, he spoke to my friend and, and asked him if he was... Uh, um, his friend's, uh, his uh, neighbor's son, and, and he said yes. And he said, we were trying to find our way back home. We got lost. It's getting dark, and we're already going to be in trouble. And the guy kind of smiled at us, and he laughed, and he said, yeah, he said, I know your dad. He, he probably isn't going to like that. So uh, he said, I'll tell you what, though. He said, you cut by the house here and go through the field, and um, – he said, you'll see another corn road. He said, just turn left by it, and you'll come out uh, actually right across the street from where your house is, and you'll know where you're at. So we thanked him, and we kind of hustled uh, through the area that he told us to, and we came out, and sure enough, there was his house. And we went in, and, of course, we were late, and uh, we caught uh, a bunch of uh, uh, crap over being late and once everybody was done eating we had to wash dishes and while we were washing dishes his dad asked us what had happened and so we told him you know we got lost and then we found uh, this old guy and he kind of told us how to get back and, and his dad kind of got a strange look in his eye and he said well, where was this at and we told him and he said come on boys and uh, he grabbed us up and he grabbed a gun and we went and hopped in his pickup truck and took off uh, flying back out of his road and, and uh, went toward this place and we got there um, and his dad was basically telling us on the way um, that that was, you know, no one was supposed to be at that place that that was, you know, um, family property and, and no one should have been on there and that kind of thing. And so we get there and um, there was little to no cabin last. The porch had separated from the house. The 
the roof had collapsed in. Uh, obviously, there was no electricity or anything. There was no guy, no dog, no, nothing that was even remotely there or looked like it did while we were uh, there just, you know, an hour before. Um, and uh, his, you know, dad kind of looked at us like we were making it up, but um, he took it very seriously because he, he knew that we wouldn't have, uh, you know, just told him the story, but he he was serious you know, and thinking that it was someone that had um, maybe been a vagrant or a homeless person that maybe, had, you know, was kind of, um, you know, shacking up there or something. And, uh, you know, but we, you know, we appreciated the ghost uh, telling us where and how to get home. But uh, anyway, I hope hope the story made sense. I was kind of nervous. It's first time calling in. And um, so that was kind of a helpful ghost, uh, this little freaky, and uh, definitely stood out in our minds. And uh, we never really talked about it much since uh, then, and we continued to to be friends and everything, uh, but um, I've got uh, I've got a few other stories and and some that um, my mom had told me um, that, um, was uh, concerning and, and creepy and and, and after uh, listening to you guys' podcast and, and shows, uh, definitely are, are more concerned uh, now uh, with my mom and my dad and their home and where they live. Um, because of the shadow figures that my mom has stated that she's seen and what they've done. So, um, but anyway, um, if you'd like for me to call back, just uh, say so. And I'd be glad to tell a couple more stories. And again, thank you guys for the show and, and I love everything and uh, hope this made sense. Thanks. Bye. It made sense. Thank you for calling. And yes, uh, we would like you to call back and share. Uh, some more of those stories. I'd be really interested in hearing what uh, what is going on there with these at his mom's house and the shadow people. At least weigh in uh, on you know our thoughts and you know feelings on it. You know based on the stories that we've heard. Give you a little uh, educated advice or or knowledge on the topic. Um, you know, what's going on? So please do call back in. What do you think happened there in that story, though? I don't know. I just have to say one of my favorite. Types of ghost stories are the ones that involve an abandoned house in the middle of the woods or in the middle of a field. So I was all about this story. This I mean, was great. It almost sounds like the uh, the house looked different as well uh-huh. when they were there. It wasn't that there was just the, the person hanging out on the porch with the dog eating the apple. There was essentially a more intact building. Yeah, as it, well. It's almost like, I guess, a wrinkle in time, like he went back yeah, in time. Yeah, like it wasn't just the ghost that appeared on an existing property. It's like the whole property transformed. Well, I kept waiting for the dad to tell the, the guys that it was old man so-and-so from way yeah. back when who's been dead 30, 40 years. But well, I wonder if it was like a family member or something, since it was family property that yeah. they owned, if it was like an, a, a great uncle or great great uncle or grandfather or something that you know is hanging out on the property still and you know that's interesting i like that it makes you you wonder then too if if the the environment is you know was somehow manipulated so they could see essentially a more intact building if whatever it is the ghost has the power to also then manipulate not only it being there and making itself present to the people if uh, they're able to control the environment as well and what's generally around it. That's something I wouldn't necessarily a lot of times I think associate with a human ghost. Yeah. But this didn't seem like anything bad either. It almost seemed helpful. So, I don't know. Angelic type ghost? Maybe he just came back just to help these yeah. these kids out and he brought his dog in his cabin or he made it look yeah. the way that he wanted it to look. That's interesting. Or there's a whole thought process of uh, if it is a wrinkle in time, uh, he wasn't. <laughs> Just think of this. If it's a wrinkle in time, and let's say the other side is interacting back and forth with this side, this guy has the story of there's these people who dress like really different from the future who came by and asked yeah. about this. And I don't know what it was. And he's just sitting there in this cabin, you know, and he's telling his friends about that, you know. Sure. That would be interesting. Here's a, here's one that will really be kind of bizarre and blow your mind. Okay. So, and this I'm sure is not going to be the outcome of this story, but 
here would be a, would be a great plot line for at least a movie. You have this sort of thing happen, okay? They tell the, these guy. This guy tells his story to us about what uh, what he saw and what happened as a kid, and we get a call from somebody else who has the story that was passed down from their grandfather who had this cabin in the woods who saw these people who seem like they're from the future. <laughs> and it's like a parallel story uh-huh. that was passed down from generations ago of what happened to the grandfather. And then this guy is actually the one that it happened to not that long ago, you know, in, in sure. parallel times. I get it. That could be interesting. It would be interesting. I wonder if that exists. I don't know. That would be an aha moment, just like at the end of Sixth Sense. It really would. It really would. Somebody will steal it, I'm sure. And we'll see it in a movie in about 10 years going, wasn't that on our show like 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. Well, it's recorded forever and ever now. So there you go. 855-853-4802. That's the phone number to call in with your real ghost stories. We'd absolutely love to hear them. It's a toll-free call. You call in 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Leave the ghost story for us. We play it back on a future episode of the show. Here's another one of those from that list. This is uh, coming in. At number six on the countdown, uh, it's called The Gateway to Hell, and this one is in Kansas. Uh-huh. I've heard of this one. I've had calls about this one back in the days of commercial radio. Uh, it's a crumbling stone church and a lonely cemetery outside a tiny rural community, um, and it's the focus of a terrifying legend. It's said that witches and occult groups use the old church for their dark rituals. A gnarled pine tree formerly stood in the cemetery until it was struck by lightning and cut down. The tree was allegedly used to hang witches in the 1800s. Still, reportedly, has a strange history. Near a long-forgotten trail named Devil's Road, which is probably... You got that as the name of the road. I'm going to... If you trace back what came first, the road or the cemetery... Or the legend. Okay. I'm going to guess the road is one of the first things. Sure. A man accidentally set fire to his own son, killing him. Another was found hanging from a tree by the side of the road. The main story, however, concerns a uh, flight of stone stairs hidden in the woods near the church. According to the legend, the entrance to the stairs opens up on Halloween and the spring equinox. Anyone unfortunate enough to locate and descend the stairs will find a gateway to hell at the bottom. According to one bizarre report, the devil reportedly makes a personal appearance in the cemetery on Halloween at midnight to visit the grave of a uh, of a witch with whom the devil had a child. Their child is said to materialize in the surrounding woods, taking the form of a werewolf. I'm sure the police have a lot of fun with this one on Halloween. Oh, I bet so. God. Uh, so there's the full legend of the gateway to hell in Stull, Kansas. And I've seen some pictures of this place. And it's just a creepy old uh, cemetery, you know, kind of rotting away. If I am thinking correctly, it's up by one of the college towns. It's either up by KU or K-State. So, oh, so I'm sure that just... Right, that just adds to Adds it. to, hey, let's get drunk and go to the, the Stull, Kansas and check out the gateway to hell. Um... So that's another interesting one. That is one I, I've, I've been curious to go check out sometime, but I think it is like it's out, really is out there in the middle of pretty much nowhere. But uh, there you go. There's another, another one for the list. Let's go to another caller, 855-853-4802. That is the phone number. Hi. Hey, Tony. Hey, Jen. It's uh, Griffin from L.A. calling in again. Uh, this time I have another story to tell you guys. The reason I'm bringing this one up, I had actually forgotten about this Uh reason it came up is because I had a friend who about seven years ago passed away in a car accident. He got hit in the side and died pretty quickly um, on a road that a lot of us go on. So it kind of freaked us all out. Um, reason I'm bringing it up now is because this morning I heard three songs in a row that I swear I haven't heard in about 10 years and they played uh, just all in succession of each other. And it's all songs that me and my friend used to sing to each other, so I've been thinking about them all day. But what what happened after the accident was I, one of my friends had said that he had heard him walking through his house and was kind of near him, so it, kind of, it makes sense that he might visit him. Uh, he was also one of his best friends there. But what happened was on the first anniversary of his death, we always go up to the site and we play some music up there. We all get together, uh, those of us who are still in town, because when he died, it was 
right around the time uh, that we were all graduating high school. So nowadays everyone's moved on to different states and everything. But those of us who are still around, sorry, uh, that clicking in the background, if you got that, that was a part of my car clicking. Not not an EVP, guys. Don't freak out. Um, but we'd all get together, play music and stuff up there. And the very first year that we went up there to do this, um, my friend's dad brought a portable, one of those iHome speakers to play. And he said that he's been using it for like past couple months and everything's worked fine. But the second that we started playing some music through it, it would just skip. And we're playing on an iPad, or uh, not an iPad, an iPod at the time. And so it's kind of strange to have some digital media skipping on you. If it was like radio or something like that, it would make a little bit more sense. So it kind of uh, kind of irked us a little bit. We were kind of not sure what to make of it. Um, we just all put it aside, thought that it could be just interference. Um, it's in a canyon. We don't know. <laughs> we were just trying to think of anything logical to think about it. Now, within that year, we've used that same... Uh, that same iHome again we were using it the whole year making sure it all worked got new batteries went up there that the next anniversary and the same thing occurred it was always on his anniversary this thing would start skipping the third year we brought a second set of speakers um just to make sure that it wasn't something with the iHome getting interference up there for five years using different speakers they would only skip whenever we were up there you know it was just so bizarre and there would always be a breeze that we would always feel like it was his presence now we're in a canyon so <laughs> i easily can just put that off to the side as just us being in a canyon um making us try and feel a little bit better because we're all having our little powwow like he's there but the stereos every year it would just skip and now the past two years we've all kind of reconciled um we've all kind of moved on i mean you can never really move on from something like that it's seven years later and this whole day it's been about him in my mind but it, it's almost like there was a time couple years ago that we all felt like he had moved we just it's hard to explain we just felt like a release of all of the pressure of what had happened um and it's never skipped since we've been up there the past two years that we've gone up uh just wanted to share that story with you guys also uh i believe it was joe was talking about telekinesis where if you get really angry or you get really passionate about something, you can actually move objects. I'm trying to correlate that with what was happening with me. Remember, if, if you guys remember, I started having the shadow figure appear again. And the past time, I think I brought this up, the past call that I had, um, where I got really irked about something and my phone died. Then what happened after that was me and my wife got in a little argument I got a little heated and all of a sudden the light turned on um and this is the same light that had turned on when I had walked out of the bathroom and we had this had that light turn on it was the exact same lights and then another time uh we had some issues with one of our friends just a bunch of drama coming up and I was again a little heated and I'm not one that gets like overly exaggerated but like any normal human, we all have those times that we're a little angry. And as we're leaving the house, all of a sudden, uh, one of my watches falls off the table and it was in the middle of this desk. And there's no way that it could have just been wind or anything that had knocked it over. So since Joe brought up the telekinesis, I'm wondering if maybe it's something like that, may I'm having an influence on it, or if it's still just the shadow figure. Uh, just interesting points to bring up that I wanted to share on the show. Also, guys, if you want to head over to the forums, there's a bunch of us that are constantly on there. Um, 
no, there's me on there, there's Ichabod, there's a few other names that I've seen pop up quite a lot. And it's a great way that if you guys are a little eerie about going on the show or having Tony read out your story for you, you can always go on there if you've got questions and stuff. There's a whole community that's just talking it up on there. Um, we're all here for the same cause, and if you head over there, I'm sure you'll get some answers. And so far, it's been pretty polite. We've all gone along. Um, and it's just another great outsource if you don't want to be on the podcast itself. Uh Besides that, guys, I guess I'll end it on that note. Uh, hope you guys have a great day whenever you guys are reading this. Um, and thanks for having me on the show again. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks for calling in, Griffin. And uh, thank you, Griffin. For, he's, he's kind of, I would say, almost like a uh, self-appointed moderator, if you he will, is. up there on the forum. And, and he's doing a great job he with is. it. Yeah. I mean, he really just kind of jumped onto that and uh, really he's, he's doing a great job. So, Griffin, keep up, you know, keep up the good work there. I really do appreciate you. Uh, you know, being on there and enjoying it uh, so much yourself and uh, responding back to a lot of folks. He really, yeah. he's, he's up there, bam, 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 giving his, his point of views. And that's that's what it's all about. It's all about getting in there. And so we invite you to, to join him in that um, and to join in that discussion. It's it's like real ghost stories all online 24 hours a day. It is. Outside of the show. So you can uh, sit there at work and waste time. And uh, <laughs> He and uh, the other one he mentioned, Ichabod, are both doing a great job at yeah. that. Yeah. And um, I don't know that Ichabod has ever called in or written in to us. Unless he's using a different name on the air than yeah. what he's using on the forum. I don't know. Maybe. But kudos to both you guys. You're doing a stellar job with that whole forum. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, check that out. It's up on the website. It's a great place you can uh, kind of discuss some things uh, off the air. And there's some folks I know, I've, I've seen some stories that have been posted up there where folks are like, this isn't quite a ghost story. But I still want some feedback on it because it might be. I'm not sure. Um, so feel free to uh, to write and post there uh, as well. Phone number again, 855-853-4802. With your real ghost stories, we would love to hear them. Uh, let's go to a letter. Dear Tony and Jenny, I've been listening to your podcast for about a week and I'm slowly working my way through all the early episodes. I thought you might like to hear about one of my experiences. My story dates back to 1993. I was working as a theater electrician at a theater in London's West End. My best mate, Tony, and myself were both stage electricians on the show Sunset Boulevard and had worked in the industry for a number of years. Occasionally, we would be asked by another theater to go back and work for them, especially when there was a new show in production. On this occasion, we had been contracted to go out and work at the London uh, Paladum uh, to uh, complete some pre-production electrical installations on the show Oliver, which was due to open there a few uh, in a few weeks. Because the stage area was in use during the day, it was agreed that we would complete the work overnight. Both Tony and myself had worked at the theater before and knew the backstage crew and the theater well and were more than happy to be left alone there overnight. I should explain at this point that both Tony and myself were in our mid-twenties at the time. Tony is an ex-Queen's guardman of uh, six foot two and about uh, 17 stone, and I am a rugby player, 5'10", and about 16.5 stone. We were what could quite comfortably be called a no-nonsense kind of blokes. Uh, we did both share an interest in matters of the paranormal and were both avid readers uh, at the time. Uh, we were both very skeptical in our outlook concerning the paranormal, very open-minded, but uh, requiring substantial evidence to accept that something was indeed what it claimed to be. It was agreed that we would do the work after we had finished doing that night's performance of Sunset Boulevard at the Adelphi. Once this was done, we collected our tools and drove the short distance across London to the Paladin, arriving there at about 11 p.m. We signed in at the stage door and said hello to Jack. He was the fireman and the only other person who would be in the building at night. Jack had been the Paladin's fireman for about 20 years and was well known to both of us. His job was to be the security night watchman for the building. Fireman was a traditional name for that role. It harked back to the olden days when lots of uh, naked flames were used in theaters for lighting, with all the wooden scenery, fabric, backdrops, costumes, and piles of other 
combustible material hanging about. Theaters were sort of like giant bonfires, waiting for a careless person to leave a candle all night and unguarded to set the whole lot on fire. It wasn't uncommon in London for theaters to be burned to the ground quite regularly. By the time we had set ourselves up for work, it was about midnight. We were both in good spirits as both of us had slept that afternoon, so we're not feeling too tired. We'd eaten that evening and had plenty of tea and biscuits to keep us going through the night. The area where we were working was on the wall at the very back of the stage. This meant that our backs would be facing the auditorium as we worked. The theater safety curtain was up and there was a clear view into the seating area of the auditorium from where we were. The auditorium lights and the onstage working floodlights were both on, clearly illuminating our work site and the rows of seats in the theater. The only areas in semi-darkness were the stage wings, but there was nothing abnormal about this. We were getting on well with the job, when at about 1 a.m., Tony asked me to go and fetch some materials from where we had stored them at the front of the stage. Turning from where we were, I strode down towards the front of the stage, gazing out into the famous auditorium with its rich red and gold decoration. As I got to where... Our gear was stacked. I noticed someone sitting in the lower box on the right-hand side of the stage watching me. It made me jump because I knew we were alone in this part of the theater. I stopped walking and stared at the figure sitting about 40 feet from me. It was a beautiful young woman. I would guess that she was in her early 20s and she was dressed in what appeared to be Edwardian clothing. And she looked solid and real. She was smiling and seemed happy. She was looking down at the stage, but I got the impression that she wasn't looking directly at me. As I stared at her, I noticed that it had become completely silent. I could hear nothing, not even the sound of Tony working at the back of the stage. I don't know how long I watched her. It could have been seconds or it could have been minutes. I didn't feel threatened or even scared. Eventually, the sound of Tony's voice calling me, asking where the gear was, broke the spell. As I looked away to tell him to wait a minute, but then I looked back and she was gone, vanished. Still not sure of what I had seen and not saying anything about it to Tony, I collected the equipment that we needed and went back to work. At about 2.30 a.m., the atmosphere in the theater started to change. A heavy feeling came over us both. I started to feel on edge and jumpy. I could feel the hairs on the back of my neck go up and it became chilly. Beforehand, we had both been chatty and lighthearted, happy to get on and finish our work. Now we were silent, not talking or even looking at each other. Getting goosebumps as I write this because a memory of how it felt that night is coming back to me. We carried on working as the job had to be completed that night and there were no other there's no other time it could be done. We couldn't have left without finishing, not without having a very good excuse for doing so. Both of us were actively were acting very strangely. For about three hours, I didn't turn to face the auditorium. I knew that there was something there, and if I turned to face it, I would see something that I really didn't want to see. Whatever it was, it didn't feel like it was directly behind me, but more like standing to the side, just out of sight, waiting for me to turn around and look at it. It wasn't my imagination playing tricks. This was a physical fear. I could feel it. In all that time, if I needed something from the front of the stage, I actually walked backwards to get it, looking down, not daring to let my eyes stray. The strange thing is, I noticed Tony acting in a similar way, walking around with his head down, not looking around at the stage or into the auditorium. It was very strange and terrifying. All I could think was, if I look at it, we're in big trouble. We finished about 5 a.m. and quickly packed our stuff away and went to the crew room for a cup of tea. Once the tea was made and we we sat down with a biscuit. I looked at Tony and asked if he felt anything while we had been working. He looked at me and nodded. What was it, I asked. I don't know, mate, he said, but it wasn't very nice. Did you see anything? I said, he said that he's seen a patch of darkness in the wings at the side of the stage. And he had seen it on both sides of the stage and that he was sure that it was aware of us and it seemed to move to stay close to our position. Once he thought he had seen a pair of white eyes staring out from the dark. I had seen nothing, but then I'd been too afraid to look. I told Tony about the lady I'd seen sitting in the box, but we both felt that whatever the thing on the stage was, it was nothing to do with her. At that point, Jack the fireman came to make a 
cup of tea, and we asked him if he had ever seen anything in this 20 years of being there alone at night. Why do you ask, he said. We told him what had happened to us overnight. He listened patiently and nodded when I told him about the lady in the box. Well, I don't know about anything on the stage area, he said, referring to the black shape Tony had seen. But as for the auditorium, I've seen plenty out there. We asked him what he meant, and he told us a story of when he'd been quite new to the job. In his second or third week, one of the first nights he'd been left alone in the theater without a supervisor, he said he'd gone out onto the stage to raise a big iron fire safety curtain that separates the stage from the auditorium in the event of an emergency. The stage working lights were on, and he walked down to the control mechanism that raises a curtain and pulled the lever that starts the process. As the curtain slowly started to go up, he walked out on stage and looked towards the auditorium. As the curtain went up, I saw that the theater was full of people, he said. I could see them moving, people going to their seats. I could see that they were talking and laughing and enjoying themselves. They were dressed like they were from the beginning of the century, all top hats and big skirts, out for a night at the theater. And then in a quiet voice, he continued, but I couldn't hear a bloody thing. It was completely silent, like watching a film with the volume turned down. After a moment, I said, what did you do? He looked at me and said, what do you think I did? I turned around, walked back to my office, locked the door. Both Tony and I worked at the Paladin on several occasions after that, but never had any further experiences of the paranormal kind there. 21 years later, we are both still the best of friends and occasionally still talk about that night. I've had other paranormal experiences in theaters, underground stations, and even a genuine haunted castle. I'll tell you those some other time if you like. Keep up the good work. Kind regards, Derek Dell Hill in London. I like that story. Thank you, Derek. That was good. We would love to hear your other stories. That was very well written and uh, very very interesting story so thank you for sharing that yeah that's one of those you can just get lost in you know the imagery is so good yeah you know i walk away from that going there's nothing i can really add to this no i mean it's just it is it is what it is i fully believe exactly what you saw those theaters got to be full of (laughs) ghosts oh sure you know i mean those are like almost guaranteed haunted i think there's like there's not even a question right you know, is all the energy that's been in those places. Thank you uh, again for uh, for writing in. We really do uh, greatly appreciate that. You want to hear the most? Uh, oh, okay. I what? was going to say the most haunted location here in the Midwest. Uh huh. Well, they're listing it as the Amon's House, which is the one in Gary, Indiana. Oh, we've talked about. We've that. already talked about that. That's what. How about number two? What's number two? Zombie Road in Wildwood, Missouri. Once called Faller Road, this claustrophobic stretch of pavement is now known uh, as Al Foster Trail, Rock Hollow Trail in some places, and it follows the Mermec River, which has been closed to vehicle traffic for years. It has developed quite a reputation over the years and is well known even outside of the St. Louis area. Most of the legends center on an old railroad crossing at the western end of the trail, it's here that laborers who died building the railroad rise from the graves at night, hence the name Zombie Road. Other folks say that the road is named after an uh, inmate named Zombie who escaped from a mental institution and was found dead on the road. In the 1970s, two teenagers were, stu- were struck and killed by a train near the crossing. Multiple suicides and murders are believed to have occurred here as well. Strange lights, sounds, sightings have led many to believe Zombie Road is thrilling to visit, but a bad place to stay for too long. Okay. Abandoned roads and railroads are like that. Yeah. I love walking on abandoned railroad tracks. Yeah, you I do. like walking on regular railroad tracks, actually, too. When I was a kid, I, I would... Uh, behind my grandparents' house, there was an abandoned rail line. And uh, across the creek, is now you can get to it. Now it's like a actually a public bike path. Oh, okay. That uh, the city has made, which is quite nice. Uh-huh. Um, but as a kid, um, there was other ways of getting to it other than waiting for winter and crossing the creek um there if you anyway there's ways to get to it um but back then it was really just kind of grown over uh-huh. um but there was a railroad ties thrown off to the side my mother's first garden at our first house was actually built using those railroad ties from that train track that's funny um in fact the first house i lived in because we were right down the road from my grandparents same creek back there right across rail lines right there 
Um, so my first house too, it was there too. Um, but I loved walking along that thing, and I'd always beg my parents if we could go walk on the old abandoned railroad track Aww. through the woods. I don't know. I think I always hoped I would like hear or see a ghost train. It was always fun when you're out there, though, just kind of walking through the woods when you did hear a train whistle. Because mm-hmm. there's other active rail, line, rail lines not far away. But you're always kind of, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, hmm. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. There was that. And actually, not too far from that abandoned railroad track, that piece of wood comes from it. Okay. That, uh-huh. that was actually, I have this little chunk of, uh, it looks like you know some sort of you know boat wood um, that I have in my office, and that was actually uh, from a creepy building in the woods that was a boathouse, and it was bizarre because it was in the woods. You had to like go through the woods to get to it as a kid, and I remember going and seeing it. It was semi-standing when I was little. I remember going and checking it out with my dad once, and my dad like kind of went out there, and he was in his you know twenties at the time, and you know kind of daredeviling it through rotting floors to see what you know how far he could get in there and Tony you stand at the edge you stand at the edge and I remember him walking through it and like the board's breaking as he walks oh wow and he got out of there but it is since pretty much collapsed it's gone there's some rock pillars that are still in the water that you can see when you walk down the creek in winter but that was one of the last pieces of wood that I saw in existence and it was that color uh huh the whole structure was and I remember seeing it as a kid so I just took that piece of wood because I thought it was cool and reminded me of that that is cool creepy building in the woods from when I was a child so anywho there you go Zombie Road one of the creepy places and that Eamon's house I, I'm really interested to hear what happens to uh, or with that Zach character from the ghost uh, is it Ghost Adventures I think so now that he bought the, the property for uh, for scientific purposes what is what he will get out of it yeah, let's There's see. apparently a documentary coming out about it. Okay. So, I'm interested, and let's uh, see what happens with that. Uh, there you go. That wraps up this episode of Real Ghost Stories Online for today. Uh, if you have a real ghost story and you like it on a future episode, let us know. 855-853-4802 is the phone number, or write in on the website. Real Ghost Stories Online. Don't miss those EPP bonus episodes. It's five bucks a month to be an EPP. You get an extra episode of the show emailed to you every single week. The $5 a month goes to support the show. In the last episode, lots of creepy stuff, including a letter from a listener who was plagued by very dark noises right around 3 a.m. And if you're following the show at all, you know usually what that means. Uh, anyway, check that out, the uh, bonus episode. You can uh, subscribe on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. So until next time, for Jenny Bruschi, I'm Tony Bruschi. Thank you for listening to Real Ghost Stories Online. <laughs> <laughs>